listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. Assistance to lend us tonight. We would love it because we have no idea why our projector quit on us. At just the wrong moment, too. You know how just when the sweet part of a song is coming on and it's like the, the major chorus and the crescendo, but it doesn't matter sometimes, right? Just got to go on without it. Do it old school. It's the way it is. But uh, we'll get it figured out. And, and uh, we've got some announcements that we were going to show you guys up there on the video, but we don't have the video, so we'll just tell you the announcements. Any of you guys that are interested in being baptized, um, we're going to be doing a water baptism service at the end of this month, uh, February 26th. It's uh, Saturday night, and we're going to be doing it indoors. So those of you that have been around a while know that we typically do this in the summertime. And uh, we're bringing a portable baptismal in here, a church from Galt's loaning it to us. So um, the 26th is that night. So if you guys, any of you are interested in being baptized in water, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. And uh, we would love for you guys to uh, be able to get your names on that list and be a part of, of what that means. And we'll go over that a little bit more in detail if you have any questions about, about all that. Um, we got some stuff coming up this week. Men's Bible study on Tuesday night. This Wednesday night is Gravity Flow for everybody, men and women. You guys are all welcome to come. And uh, this Wednesday night is actually going to be game night. So if you guys uh, are looking to have some fun Wednesday night, come and hang out with us in the coffee bar. And uh, we'll be doing some uh, group games, and uh, we'll be also having a time of prayer together. So uh, come on out for that on Wednesday night. And I'm trying to think if there's any other announcements that I can't think of right now. Um, you guys want to go to hockey next Friday night in Stockton? They're having the uh, hockey night, and Alan's got tickets. Alan, right here. You guys want tickets? Um, let him know. Whose guitar's on? Somebody's guitar's on. I can hear it. Is it yours, Brennan? Yeah, buddy. Dang, guitar players. I know how those guys are. So anyway, that's our announcements for tonight. Um, we're really glad you guys came. Really glad to see uh, some of you guys from the Life Church. Pastor Lance is here with us and just got a chance to hang out with him a little bit. And um, it's cool. It's a beautiful thing when the body of Christ comes together. And um, if you've never been with it here with us on a Saturday night, then... Um, I apologize for the, uh, uh, all the technical difficulties, but um, that's pretty much typical. So just kind of get used to it. That's how we roll. If it's not one thing, it's another. We have every kind of problem with this old building from electrical failures to sewers that decide to back up and flood the bathrooms to um, police and all kinds of different things going on. We, we just have a lot of fun. And so if you're, if you're ever here going, oh, well, this was just an off night for these I'll come back again. It's not an off night, trust me. It's not an off night. So we've been talking this whole year, basically since uh, the beginning of January, when 2011 kicked off. We've been talking about this crazy concept of this time that you and I live in. It's time in between two very, very strategic moments in history. The times that we're living in that I'm talking about have to do with those of you that know Scripture or have any kind of an idea of, of, of the story of Christ and, and how He came to the earth. Right here, we have a sign that says the anointed arrival. We talk about the fact that Christ came to be a part of the plan of salvation, that when He came to this world in the form of a little baby that we just celebrated a little over a month ago at Christmas time, that when He came, He completely altered the whole story of humanity as we know it. And when He came... He came and started a chain reaction here on planet Earth that has been going on 
for generations and generations and generations, ever since the time of his arrival, ever since the time that he showed up. But when we go before that, and when we go all the way back to the beginning of the story, we read in Scripture the story of God who in his heart created a perfect place for you and I to live. The Bible says that when God created the heavens and the earth, that he literally made a place for you and I to live that was completely perfect. Hard for us to imagine, really, a place that's free of crime, that's free of sickness, that's free of hatred, that's free of divorce, that's free of abuse, that's free of all the things that you and I have become so accustomed to in our world that we live in. But that's what Scripture says, is that when God made it, it was completely perfect. He looked at it and he said, it's all good. It's amazing. But we read the story and know that it didn't take very long for that perfection to be invaded. It didn't take very long for that perfection to have to begin to deal with something that was very sinister and very dark. And it didn't take long for evil and darkness to invade God's perfection. And when that, when that perfection was invaded and the darkness began to spread through the course of man's rebellion and through the course of sin, we then began to see this world and all of its beauty and all of its perfection begin to break down and begin to deteriorate. And the Bible literally says that God had to escort the very first man and woman, Adam and Eve, out of their perfect place. And he had to, he had to send them out. In essence, what God did is he sent us out of our home and we became homeless. And you and I live in this world and we're very familiar with this concept of what it is to feel homeless, to feel without connection to something real, without connection to something permanent, without connection to something that we can just sink our teeth into and know that it's going to last. Everything around us is temporary. Our jobs are fleeting. Our relationships don't last. Our bodies break down. Everything around us is in this source of deterioration and this state of becoming obsolete. And we want something permanent. And so as we've been going through this journey, we realize that when Jesus came and he started this magnificent process, that he was coming to start a chain reaction that eventually would lead us home, a place that you and I could finally be forever. And so we've been reading about this next momentous occasion that's coming, the triumphant return of Christ that, that is going to change and complete everything that Jesus came and started. We talked about the analogy of, of how when a president gets elected to become the president of the United States, that he starts a period of time that we call a term. And for the next four years, he gets to complete his agenda. He gets to do the things that are in his heart to do for the nation and to try to lead us in whatever way he sees fit. And when Jesus came and when Jesus left the first time, he started an agenda that included you and I. He started a process of bringing light into the darkness. He started a process that would eventually result in you and I going home. And so tonight as we pick up, we find that there was a story that we read last week. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'll just read a short verse. Since I don't have it up there, I'm going to read it slow for you guys. But it says, We now have this light that is shining in our hearts but we ourselves are like fragile jars of clay. We contain this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God 
and not from ourselves. Last week, we talked about this idea of the fact that you and I carry this treasure called the gospel. The Bible says that you and I are actually like jars of clay, and yet God put inside of us this magnificent treasure. Clay is very fragile. Clay is very easy to manipulate. If you've ever played with Play-Doh, you know that you can squeeze it and you can roll it and you can manipulate it so easily. And that's what God says that you and I are. We're made out of clay. And yet, in spite of that, God chose to put this magnificent treasure inside of us for us to carry it. It blows my mind when I think about it. It blows my mind that Jesus would take something so beautiful. What it says right here is it's a treasure, and he puts it in something that is so weak, and so fragile, and so easily messed up. See, when Jesus came the first time as the little baby, and he lived on this earth for 33 years, at the end of his time, he began a process with some followers, and he was placing in their hands the future of the church and the future of redemption and the future of what you and I live with today. Jesus looked at those followers, and he said these amazing words. He said, greater things will you do after I leave. He promised that to them. Those guys on that day didn't get it. They didn't complete the class. They didn't get an A. They didn't understand anything about it. Up to the time that Jesus left, they were still questioning everything about Jesus and about his stories and about everything. And yet Jesus looked at him and said, you're my A team. You guys are going to do this. You guys are the ones that are going to carry this on. It's pretty crazy. In Matthew chapter 13, I want to read you a little bit of a story just talking to these guys. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44, he's telling stories about the kingdom of God and he's trying to help them to understand what it's really like. And he says in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered that was hidden in a field. In this man's excitement, he hid the treasure again and then he sold everything that he owned so that he could get enough money to go and buy that field. He says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant that was on the lookout for very fine pearls. When he discovered a pearl that was of great value, he sold everything that he owned and he bought it. It's interesting to me that Jesus continues over and over and over again to try to get us to understand how valuable he is. See, you and I live in a world that has our values all messed up. You and I live in a world that places values and things of importance on all of the wrong stuff. What are the things that you and I think are important? Well, at the very top of the list is money. If we're honest, our culture and our society and the world that we live in places a very high value on how much money people have and how much money people make. And this is the way that the world pretty much works that we know. And so Jesus takes that value system and he tries to use it in a way that becomes tangible or real to us. He says, okay, 
you guys appreciate money, so let me tell you something about money. And then he begins to talk about the kingdom of God. And he tells this beautiful story, and I want you guys to get this with me, because this is like the greatest, you know, adventure story ever. I don't know if you guys are into any of these um, new reality TV shows, but some of the favorite ones that I love watching are Pawn Stars and um, that other one, I think it's called Junk Kings or something like that, where these guys just go all across the United States looking in people's garages and, and tool sheds for what? They're looking for treasure. They're looking for something valuable. They're digging for it. It's crazy. How many of you guys shop at Ross? Come on now. You've got to dig for a treasure if you're going into that place, man. It's just, it's just you've got to go hunting. And so Jesus tells the story of this guy that goes into a field and he's digging and all of a sudden, there it is. We'll use the analogy of a diamond. He, he opens up the earth and he finds this diamond that is the biggest rock he's ever seen. And he instantly knows this is life-changing. This is so valuable that this is life-changing for me. And so what does he do? Jesus says, the guy puts it back in the ground. Now, I know this crowd and I know many of you guys, what you're thinking, you're putting it in your pocket is what you're doing and you're going. But this guy had some scruples and he was honest and so he puts it back in the ground and he covers up the hole and then he goes and sells everything he owns. Think about that. He's like, this field here, maybe it costs 10 grand. Somehow, some way, I've got to get 10 grand. I've got to sell anything. I'm selling possessions. I'm selling, I'm, I'm mowing lawns. I'm doing whatever I got to do because if I can get $10,000 together, my whole life is never going to be the same. I got to do this. I've got to get $10,000 so that I can have this treasure, this field. And Jesus is telling this story to a crowd of people as I'm telling it to you tonight. And people are like, I get it. If I, if I knew that there was a guarantee at the end of it, a guarantee, then I would do it, right? I would do it. It would be worth it. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom's all about. It's that valuable. It's, it's worth that much. It's worth losing everything else in your life to get it. Whatever it is that you're chasing right now, it's not worth that. Whatever it is that you think will make you happy in your heart. I don't care what it is. It may not be money for you. It may be the perfect relationship. It may be prestige in your job. It could be your career. I don't care what it is. Whatever you're chasing right now that you think is that valuable and is going to give you that much, it's nothing compared to the value of Jesus. And Jesus says you got to be willing to lose it all to get me. Now, it's funny that we talk about these TV shows because one of the things that I've learned that you can, you can learn, too, about watching this stuff is that one man's treasure is another man's, what? Garbage. In this same story, I want to read to you a little bit more. In verse 53, it says, When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country and he returned to his hometown of Nazareth. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and they said, where does he get his wisdom and how can he do these miracles? 
And then they scoffed at him. And they said, he's just the carpenter's son. And we know his mother Mary and his brothers, James and Joseph. All his sisters, they live right here among us. Where did he learn all of these things? And Scripture says that the people were deeply offended and they refused to believe in Jesus. Jesus told them these words. A prophet is honored everywhere except for in his own hometown and among his own family. And so Jesus did only a very few miracles there because of their unbelief. See, it's really interesting that this story has this twist in it tonight. Because Jesus clearly articulates this concept of treasure. He clearly articulates this this treasure of knowing something is worth everything. It's worth so much. And then he goes home. And then he begins to tell these same stories to the people that know him. And how do they respond? They don't see treasure. They don't see something that's valuable. They don't see something that's worth losing everything to find. They see something that's common. They see something that's ordinary. They see something that is easily discarded. They don't see the beauty of the treasure that was standing before them. If we're honest here tonight, many of us sometimes have a hard time seeing the beauty of the treasure of Christ. Especially outside the walls of a spiritual place like a church. When we come into an environment like this, many of us don't experience anything quite like this dynamic anywhere else in society. Some of you have told me that when you come here on Saturday nights, it's like your only time of peace that you know. And if you can just come through the doors and you can just experience the music and experience the atmosphere, then for that short period of time, it's like you're okay. It's like you're put back to where you need to be. And in that moment, you see the treasure. You see the value. You see the beauty. But what happens to us? We quickly leave and we quickly go back to our homes and we quickly go back into the chaos of this world and we quickly go back to our jobs and the hustle and the bustle and that treasure and that value and that beauty begins to fade away and everything else begins to consume us. Is that the truth or what? And so we are always in this struggle all the time of trying to choose what's more important. I was talking to a good friend of mine last week and he gave me this little story that I told him I wanted to share tonight because it's the perfect analogy. He was saying, you know, sometimes he said, I feel like when we come to God, we go to, it's like when we go to the carnival and the guy is there and he's doing the magic tricks and you walk up to his little table and he's got the three shells in front of you and he's like, pick one and, and underneath one, there's that little ball that you're trying to keep your eye on. And then he starts doing this bit with it, you know, and, and the whole time you're just like, I know which one it is. I know where the little ball is under the shell. And then you pick it. It's not there. And you're like, dang it. And you're looking again. And he says, but there comes a point if you've seen the game and if you've seen the magic trick and if you've gone through all these things before, there comes a point where you keep your eye on the ball and you don't get tricked by it anymore. And he says, you stop falling for it. And you just keep your eye and you know where it is all the time. And he says, you don't even worry about the the other ones that are going all around. 
And when he said that, I thought, how perfect for us sometimes in this life because there's so many things doing this with our treasure. There's so many things that are just shuffling it all around, making it hard for us to keep our eye on what is really important, to keep our eye on what is really valuable. But when you come to the point to where you know where the treasure is, when you come to the point to where if you've come here on a Saturday night and you've experienced something and you come again, and you come again because you don't, may not even know what it is. You may not even know how to describe it. You don't, may not even know how to explain it, but you know that there's something that compels you to come back. You stop chasing all the other shells that are available to chase. And you start going back to the one that is giving you what you need. And it's the presence of God. See, we believe that the treasure of this world is not the same thing as the treasure of God. We believe that the treasure of what God offers is not the same things that the world is chasing after to give them what they're looking for. And when you have found what you're looking for, the chase is over. The chase is done. And you begin to pursue God like that man that found the diamond that was buried in the field. That man stopped looking for other fields. That man began a different pursuit in his life. He needed 10,000 bucks. And that's what it was all about. How can I get the money together so that I can change my life forever? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus alludes to this. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, he says these simple words. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. He says, store your treasures in heaven where the moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. It's amazing that Jesus contrasts the different types of treasure that you and I look for. And it's different. It's amazing that Jesus begins to say that you can have treasure that is stored in a different place. And your value system begins to change. And you begin to put your eyes on something other than the things that become so ordinary and so common to you and I everywhere that we go. And we literally begin to live with another place in our mind. We begin to live with another understanding of what's coming next. We begin to live with this other place as our focus. See, Jesus says that someday he's going to return for us again. And when he comes back, we've read in the book of John how Jesus says he's preparing a home for us. And when he comes back, he's going to take us to be with him. And this understanding that this world really is not our home, that we are truly strangers passing through a strange land, that we truly don't call this place permanent, but that we're transients. We are just moving through. It begins to change the way that we live while we are right here. It changes the way that we look at each other. And in Philippians 1, it says, 
You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the good news or the gospel of Christ. And then he goes on and he says, whether I come and I see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the gospel or the good news. He's talking to a group of Christians here, and he says, I want you to learn how to live for a different place. But then he takes this step further, and he says, but I want you, while you're here, to live with one spirit. To live in one spirit. This word spirit is a, is a Greek word that it literally means breath. It literally means us coming together as one so that the things that we do, so that the things that we engage in, we're not doing as a bunch of separate entities, but we as the body of Christ are coming together with one breath. As if the very things that make us come alive, we do and we engage in together. Now I know that there, there are many of us that go to different churches and Saturday nights is a night where people gather from all over the communities and they come and they represent different communities of faith that all come together for this. But scripture says that truly, no matter where you worship, no matter what church you call home, that if you wear the garment of Christ, that we are one, that we are the same, that we have one Lord and one faith and one baptism and we come together in him. It's the most amazing picture in the world. We, are, we hear all the time these concepts of people of different faiths or different backgrounds coming together and how diversity is just celebrated all over the world right now that you need to respect each other and all of their diversity. And I can't think of a more beautiful example of Christ than for his body to assemble in all of its magnificent diversity with all of its variations of expression and all of its different various expressions of creativity and the different voices and the way that some people sing this way and some people sing this way. Some people are loud, some people are solemn. Some people turn the lights off, some people turn the lights up. It's just different. And I can't think of something more beautiful than to see that complexity and diversity all coming together and saying we all are one inside of Christ. He is our uniting He is the reason that we have life and that we all come together because in essence, at the core, at the crux of every single one of us is the knowledge that in our hearts we all want to go home. That when we were exiled from our home because of sin, when we were sent out and we were told you can no longer be here, all of us want to go back. All of us want that back. All of us want the wrongs to be righted. All of us want the injustices to be corrected. All of us want the sickness eradicated. All of us want the pain to go away. And that only happens through Christ. That only happens when we come home to Jesus. That only happens when we come home and find ourselves in Him. You know, in, in Scripture, there's, there's this continual story of how God wanted us. It really is the crux of the story. God decided when he created everything to create man because he wanted us. It's amazing to think that the God that created this whole thing 
desires to know people like you and me. As, as small as we may seem, as insignificant as we may think of ourselves, as broken as we may look at ourselves in the mirror, God desires us. And so when we see this story of a God that wanted man, and we see the tension throughout history of how man completely rejected God, and how man just said, God, we don't want you. I know you want us, but we don't want you. And this, this, this story of truly a romance that begins to happen through all of history where God begins to want to win us back to himself. He goes to great lengths. And finally, the culmination of this thing, when, when, when God sees this small nation called Israel, and he says, I'm going to choose you to be my special people. And you know the word that he uses? He says, you're going to become my treasure. He says, you're going to be my treasure. So that when the rest of the world sees this little tiny nation, very weak and small and insignificant, when the rest of the world sees you, I'm going to be the one that brags about you because you're my treasure. You're valuable to me. And we see the story of the tension between God and Israel and everything. And then comes Jesus. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am going to set you free. And whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. And he says, and it's not just the freedom that you're after. He says, I am going to leave so that my Holy Spirit can come and and be a part of you. And so we will never, ever be separated again. You will never, ever have to be alone. And he begins to take this beautiful story a step further. And Jesus begins to say, and now you will carry the treasure. The treasure that I saw in you, Israel, the treasure that I looked down and saw in you, this insignificant little group of people, this little nation that the rest of the world didn't care for, I look at you and I see something valuable and precious, my treasure. And then he says, and through Christ, I am going to take the gospel and I'm going to put it in other small, broken clay jars that are so insignificant, and now you will become the carrier of my treasure. And this understanding of what God thinks is valuable, it just blows us apart because it's so backwards to what you and I think is valuable. What God looks at and says, I see so much worth and so much value is contrary to what our entire system in this world is built on. And God says, I am going to entrust the valuable treasure of the gospel to you. That's beautiful. Would you pray with me? God, tonight we, God, we just come to you with the very real understanding that brokenness is our normal. That God, shame and things that we have done and things that we have had done to us is how we are. And though we try our best to hide the cracks and to hide the scars, Lord, there's so much that we cannot hide. And God, when we get real, we know that there's nothing that can be hidden from you. So God, tonight, as we look at Scripture and as we turn our hearts toward you for these few moments for communion, Lord, and for worship, Father, I pray that though we may be aware of our brokenness and the cracks and the shame 
And Father, I pray that the value and the treasure and the beauty of God will become the focus of our hearts right now and the focus of our lives. I'm going to have the band come back up now and we're going to take a few moments to think about the condition of where we find ourselves tonight. So many times as we're talking about the value system that we share and the things that we think are important and the things that we think are worth so much, we get into this concept where we have to start weighing things. We've got to put them on the scales. Because everybody here has a scale in your life, whether you realize it or not. Everybody here has things that you think are really, really important, and you have things that you couldn't care less about. And this is the scale that you and I live with all the time. And the things in our life have to be weighted. They've got to be assigned a value system. They've got to be assigned a way of knowing what we think they're really worth. Because if not, we don't know what to do with them. We don't know where they fit in us and in our life. And so tonight, as we talk about this idea of the treasure of God and the treasure of the gospel and how God views us, we have to look at ourselves right now and we have to say, how important do I really think that I am to God? And we've got to throw ourselves on the scale. Because the truth of the matter is there's many of us here tonight that don't think that we're worth very much. We think that we're insignificant. We think that we're invisible. We think that if something were to happen to us, nobody would ever even recognize or even know. And sadly, the world that we live in, it says that to us a lot. And that's why I'm so grateful for the grace and the mercy of God. Because he says that even though the world says that you're not worth anything, when I see you, I see something that is so valuable that I gave everything to get you. And he wants you. He wants to know that you know how valuable you are to him. Something changes in us when we begin to understand what we're worth. Something changes in the way that we live our lives. Something begins to change from the inside out when we understand that we are like that treasure that had the diamond in it. And though on the outside nobody could see the inside of what we really had, God sees it and it begins to give us confidence and it begins to give us the courage to break out of our addictions and to break free from the things that hold us down and it breaks us free from the lies that we've been told our whole lives from father to son, from mother to daughter, the things that we've witnessed. It gives us the courage to break those things so that we can be who God wants us to be. And so tonight, this is your chance to throw your life on the scale before God and to say, God, you got to tell me what I'm worth. I can't tell you what you're worth. I wish I could. I swear, I wish I could look you in the eye and say how valuable you are. But the words that you need to hear can only come from God himself. He's got to tell you how valuable you are. And some of you are scared to death to have that conversation with him. You don't want to look God in the eye and let him talk to you. But I'm telling you, it is the most beautiful thing and it is the safest place for you to ever be to look God in the eye and say, God, what do you think of me? Because he'll tell you I love you. He'll tell you you're valuable. He'll tell you I want you. We have some tables here tonight that every week we come to. And scripture says that there's an ancient practice that we, as followers of Christ, have been doing together for thousands of years. 
And this ancient practice is really silly if you ask me, but it's very symbolic in what it represents. We take a, pre, a piece of bread, an ordinary piece of bread, and we do it different ways, but here tonight we're going to dip it in some juice. And then we're going to eat it. But Jesus says that this is more than some silly little practice or ritual. He says, this is a time when you come, throw everything on the scale, and you remember what I have done for you. And Jesus says that this bread literally represents his body, and this juice represents his blood that he willingly gave for us. And every time we come to this table, we fix our eyes on him and we stop chasing all of the other shells in our life. And we say it's all about Jesus. And we refocus our hearts on him. And if you are here tonight and you have never opened your heart up to Christ and you have never said, Jesus, I want to know you and have never said, come in and be a part of me and forgive me for my sins, then I'm going to challenge you tonight to come to this table by faith and to open up your heart and by taking this bread and dipping it in the juice, say, Jesus, come into my life. Wash me of all my sins and be my Lord. I want to know you. And when you eat this bread, this will be the first act of faith that you've ever done. And by ingesting this into your body, you are symbolically saying, Jesus, I want everything. I'm taking you into me and I want to be a part of you. Come and take this time to be with God. Come and find some places that you can pray. Go back to your seats and kneel down, but do whatever you have to do to speak to God from your heart and listen to what he has to say to you. Come on, let's do this. You've been listening to gravitychurch.com.